Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! The legends are true! With overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello everybody, it's me, your nuclear warfare maddened Gandhi wizard, Holden McNeely. Oh, and hey there little mama, it's me, your attitude advisor and number one hip-shaking hound dog bruiser, Jake Young. <laughs> That's right, I forgot Elvis. Is hey there little mama, looks like you gotta lay waste to your enemies. <laughs> that happiness meter's gonna go way up. <laughs> I turned into the big bopper immediately. Yeah, you I, t- I went straight bopper. <laughs> I'm a fucking hack. Why do you listen? Throw your phones against the wall, people. Do not people. throw your phones against the wall. Free Definitely yourself. Don't do that. Now, are the legal advisors here at uh, Last Podcast Network, please do uh, advise you not to actually throw your phone against the well, wall. Since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. You know, if you play that. Down at the end of Lonely Street at, uh, you got to construct more monuments. <laughs> Do you know if you play Heartbreak Hotel backwards, it goes, well, well, throw your phone against the wall. <laughs> I make sense. It makes sense in my reality. <laughs> Holden, what are we doing this week? We are talking about Sid Meier's civilization, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think it oh, is. Oh, no. Holden, I was researching Sid Caesar's civilization. <laughs> oh, no, it's just fine. a bunch of old Jewish comedians. <laughs> I, would love to, I would love to do a Sid Caesar hour <laughs> episode, by the way. That would be phenomenal. Um, it's a different kind of nerd. Very different kind of nerd. But I have got to say, this has been a phenomenal subject to study. I mean, of course, it is. And this will. We'll, let's just immediately talk about our personal experience because it's such a unique one for this game for me because I have recently fallen in lust Mm. or love or whatever you want to call it with this franchise uh you put the three you put the triple x and four x gameplay exactly and boom can you believe right off the top of the dome that was amazing i I, I thank you for your improv skills (laughs) by the way jake highly recommends uh spending thousands of dollars at the upright system theater in order to get those improv skills up to snuff correct I made it to level two. <laughs> did you? Yeah, it was a good summer. I never took one of those classes. I never you, did. I mean, that's the that's why. Well, we'll get into it later. But that's why Murder Fist kicked ass because right. you were <laughs> you were like fucking jungle comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but getting back to this, which is the opposite of Murder Fist. Um, so, uh, what can I say about this game? Anything that involved like, mo- like. Uh, being on a PC or even a Mac and using a mouse and keyboard and it being this, like, from far away map. So StarCraft, Civilization, any of these games were super foreign to me growing Mm -hmm. up. I was a console kid. 
I had always kind of, I'd heard about these games. And I'm also, and I know this is weird to say because I feel like, I feel like an idiot for saying this, but I'm not a big history guy. I'm just not. I, I've tried. I've tried so many different angles. I'm like, maybe I'll like Americans people's history of the United States or Sometimes the people's history or whatever. I just try and tell you about something I did yesterday and your eyes just glaze just over. Just glaze. I, I, you I, hate the past. I'm oddly bored by the past. <laughs> I like to devil in the white city. If you fluff it up enough, <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of zazz it up for me. A no, little that's as- the Sims. You're thinking of yeah. the Sims if you want to build a murder house. See, that's the other thing, though. And then Sims is something that always really well, is. Sim City, another big. Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, and god it will view. it will be brought up today a god game as they call it. It was one of the first, and never really got into that. I'm also not a big builder upper person. Um, when it comes to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you're not a what? A big build up person, a builder upper boy, mm-hmm. a boy builder. <laughs> you know, I it's Minecraft, even Mario Maker is it, like as I always get the Mario Makers, and then I I start messing around with the tools, and then I just immediately fall off. I'm just not a person who likes to make in video games, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I've just never felt super compelled, but I keep hearing time and time again from so many different people. I talk to about video games. Henry from last podcast on the network is a great example. He is currently uh, just knee deep. I don't know if he's playing five or six. I think he's playing he mentioned five. five. Um, he is, he's one of those guys trying to like perfect the game, play the perfect game of Civ. He, he's obsessed with it. Well, one guy did do that and it created a nightmare world. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and other people, my, the basis of my band is like super into it. And I've just so many different people in my life. And I was like, I need to finally give this a shot as a person who is like really just so steeped in the video game culture of now and the past with this show and just with twitch and with my my general hobbies and whatever and i picked up six and uh six was on sale on the steam sale it had all it's, of the expansions it was civilization for the is one of those games that is always on sale mm-hmm. no matter what because obviously the base game that's just how they get you it's right. all those expand they it's just want you to be in on the expansions. but at the same time they don't they aren't microtransaction fuckers mm-hmm. and they're really good about that and i do really commend them for that they don't do any of that kind of stuff which would make civ blow Funny if enough, you had to pay 5 bucks to like increase your ha- town's happiness fuck dude it would i suck. actually bought uh, civilization revolutions 2 for uh, the phone and i was like i was like oh boy this is going to be Fine, full of migrant, and like um, no, it it play. It was like a really fun. It was an actual video game. On it was your an mobile actual phone? pared down video game <laughs> for my mobile phone, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually super enjoyed. Uh, it's old as fuck now. It's like a leftover relic mm. from like back when they did just they made you bought the game and you got the game on your phone, but. Uh, Dear, can you even like what is civilization with microtransactions? Because Ugh, be the whole atrocious. game, the whole game is just managing resources. Yeah, it and- would be awful. <laughs> it would be it's so disgusting. So, anyways, or, well, also it's built into civilization. Uh, Civ Two had a cheat screen right there on the front uh, menu. Oh, really? Yeah, like it was uh, just go and tinker. Oh, right, uh, because they made two, which we will get into, of course. But I believe, yeah, they made two more mod friendly. Right, we'll 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 get hmm. to that. I think that was with two. Either way, I pick up six. I had heard the criticisms of six before, but I was like, well, it's the newest one, and I want to check it out. I didn't really mind. I think a lot of people mind the, like, 
super cartoonish Disney-ish look of everything, which I didn't super mind that necessarily. Yeah. But there was something about the flow of the game and just the way it is and, and the way the menus work. I was just like, I'm just not quite getting this. I'm almost there. I love board games. You know, I'm, I'm into that kind of thing. I was like, I get what this is. But I'm not quite in it. And I, I sat down with my friend Carly and she who who loved to play Civ back in the day. And she kinda ran me through it, but again, her knowledge was based on five, so there's all these little changes and differences and how it's done. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I kinda got into it. I started getting a little ways into a game, and then I just fell off of it. And then once we were getting into this and, and after d- streaming and talking about my difficulties with Civ Six People just were like, get five, get five, get five. And I picked up five, and it finally happened last, or rather yesterday, Jake. I woke up hungover. I sat in the dark for a full, I want to say four to five hours after only intending to maybe spend two hours doing this activity. And I fell into that sweet, sweet sieve loop that I've always heard about and ended up playing for at least one, if not like two hours more than I had ever intended on playing it in, in the day. And I had to, I had to like make myself stop. I was like, you have to stop. You, you have to go. You have to do other things today. Like <laughs> I had to wrench myself away from it. And I haven't returned since, but I am so excited to, I am, I, get it it's awesome the way that just once especially once everything really starts churning and happening and you feel like you really get that sense of progress and you really get that sense of game plan and trying to figure out what to do and i'm making every mistake in the book because i'm a first timer Mm -hmm. with civ and the whole point of civ from what i have heard which i believe is definitely true is that you you that's the way you play the game you, you just make mistake after mistake after mistake, and then replay after replay after replay. You you, you smoothen out exactly how you... Because there's so many mechanics just shotgunned yes. into your face. Yes, This was... Um, I, I was never... I'm in the exact same boat as you. I was never into SimCity. I was never into, uh, you know, uh, God uh, Populous. I was never into uh, Black and White. I was never into any of the God... Ga- Hell, I barely touched Roller Coaster Tycoon. Right. I was never into those God game kind of deals. I feel like I would like Roller Coaster t- Tycoon now, like if I tried it now. I wish they would make like a new... They did they keep trying. They, they keep, keep trying. trying. I wish they would nail a new Roller Coaster Tycoon because I think I would totally get into it. But anyways. So I was, I was never into it. And so picking up five and even picking up the phone version, it was like, have I ever even played a video game before? What is happening? Each of these, like these, these games are built on systems upon systems upon systems upon systems. It's literally hard coded into the design philosophy that like it carries so much stuff from the previous versions. I couldn't like, I couldn't like, what was that? You know, I was fucking up. I was making mistakes. I, you know, said, uh, you know, I, I had open borders with fucking Germany and then they fucking attacked my goddamn central city of Pyongyang or not Pyongyang or whatever, the South Korean major city, uh, sale. Um, it was uh, a nightmare, but same thing. I understood the one more turn meme. Mm. And that was like, it's not about history. It's not about the thrill of combat. It's not about the goofy like memes about Napoleon and Gandhi. It's literally, you've created a game that is always in an incomplete state. You can never stop because you're always in the middle of a tech tree and you're always building units and you're always in the middle of a war with one person. You like, as each turn goes by, you have another goal that you are just chipping away at. And so there's no like final mission. There's no end. There's no little flag at the end of the Mario level that you grab on and then the music plays and you can stop. It's a game where it can't, I mean, it can end, but while you're playing it, 
there's no there's no way to stop there's no like it doesn't give you an exit and that is a hundred percent unintentional yeah they did not mean for this to happen but they've created a psychological mind prison <laughs> yes and not only that uh it does a thing that's the best games like mobas do this uh counter-strike does this like any game that becomes truly like uh world devouring does this thing where every given second you are needed to make a decision there is no time to like stop and like think about the world outside of the game because no matter what there's always just a new thing that requires your attention and civilization is like it's like the slow version of that. Yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's the thinking man's uh, League of Legends. It's a re- they do a great. Please don't stab me in the neck if you see me in the street because <laughs> I just made that analogy. Ha! It's it they do a great job too of just slowly easing your way in, and then before you know it, you've got all of these things you're managing. But just the stacking of those things happens in such a gradual, wonderful way. That when by the time you get there, you you don't even realize, you know, that you that, and all of a sudden. You don't feel the complexity, in other words, mm-hmm. of of all of these things by the time you get to them all running at once because of how well they layer them on top of each other as you go. Like, normally I get overwhelmed with a ton of systems in a game, but because each game starts so simply and winds up so gradually, but you know, but you don't necessarily feel like bored in the beginning. It's still compelling gameplay. It's just not a million systems all at once. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so let's get to talking. Let's fucking talk about the history. By the way, let's. I I I, I apologize if you've never heard of or played Sid Meier's Civilization. Uh, we are Wait, twelve minutes in. Who's Civilization? Sid Meier's Civilization. Fuck! I was looking up Sid Vicious's Civilization. <laughs> it's all about being horny and doing drugs. Very different kind of nerd. Very different kind of nerd. Um. So Sid Meier's Civilization. How do we want to describe this? This is a uh. Stra- turn-based strategy game about building up a civilization. It has multiple win states, so you could be a warmonger and conquer the whole world. You could be um, a diplomat and make peace with everyone to win the game. You can ra- launch a rocket to uh, Alpha, Centauri. Alpha Centauri, which is uh, amazing. Um, so there's like a, and there's like a science-based, in other words, ending. Uh, right now, I'm kind of going for, I'm, I'm aggressive right now, but I'm starting to wonder, I'm like, wait, should I actually just be, I'm like really peaceful right now with England and America, but I'm gunning for Berlin and Rio de Janeiro, you better watch out. All right, because I'm gunning for your ass too. Is there a city state you like? Are you having fun with city states? A little bit. I'm trying to still figure out that. I feel like right now they're just sort of like on this, on the side for me. Mm. But yeah, it's it's you know it, it takes place on hexagons at least after the first one. It's very much feels no, uh, hexagons. I think it's like I think five did hexes. Might be, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's it's very it, it feels like a, a board game that you can never actually play on a real board because of how complex and crazy it gets. And I love those types of games too, like the living board game type things. So, yeah, I guess that's it, right? And it was all created by a man named Sid Meier. Well, just, well, even though it's his name on the box. Yeah, it's not all created it's, by uh, It's weird. It's kind of like uh, Sid Meier is, um, it's, uh, it's, like a t- it's like James Bond. It's just a designation that gets passed from designer Tom to Tom Clancy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know how there's like been five Tom Clancy's at this point. <laughs> and they keep cloning them and cloning them. <laughs> 
So Sid Meier, born in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, to Dutch and Swiss parents, which gave him Swiss and Canadian citizenship. He later grew up in Michigan, where he had a passion for learning. Meyer said, we maybe used our imaginations a little bit more in those days than we have to today. Reading was my growing up equivalent to playing video games. If there was something I was interested in, pirates, the Civil War, airplanes, I would go to, I would go to libraries and get books on it. And also that he enjoyed reading about military history and things like that. One of the things that happens when you read, this is a quote from Meyer, by the way, when you read about history is you're always asking, why did it turn out this way and not that way? Or what would have happened if I was in charge and did this? They probably wouldn't have lost the battle then. So he ends up going on and of course... Uh, of course, he ends up studying history and computer science, graduating with a degree in computer science from the University of Michigan. Uh, and this is that that's and he's you know, this is a story we've told a lot of times before. He's just one of those lucky few weirdos that just of the things to get obsessed over programming on home computers in the late 70s yeah. and early 80s. Perfect timing. He has a knack for it. He talks about in an interview with a, a fellow uh, civilization head designer. Uh, I think that. I think this is the guy that did four is Soren Johnson. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, he admits that, you know, he started doing all the basic programming on an old, uh, not what is some 6502 base computer that his dad got him and uh, immediately tried to be began uh, learning like assembly code, like immediately yeah. got into like machine language well, he had, because he just wanted his games to be the fastest, coolest things. And of, and of course, too, I feel like so many of these people, especially in the early days, they started out with like weird, boring versions of. Uh, of of a day job that they're trying to get to. In other words, he was working on cash registers. Oh, he was right. developing cash registers for the incredibly dynamic sounding company General Instruments. <laughs> yeah, just a nightmare. Hi, my name's Sid. I work at General Instruments. Um, I definitely will not grow up to be constantly late at PAX conventions. So he's programming, but not the funnest stuff. Um, this is cash registers for department stores. Then this is in 1981. And while he's working on that job, he gets an Atari 800. And that pushes him towards creating his own games. He was mutual friends as well with a man named Bill Steely, a retired military pilot. I'm sorry. It's uh, John, quote, Wild Bill Steely. Oh, Okay. And this is actually what happened. I'm not sure the exact details behind this. Maybe you know a little bit more. But mutual friends of Sid Meier and this guy, Bill Steely, they kind of they arranged for them to get together in Las Vegas because uh, they both a, had this super big passion for aviation. It's a it's a industry convention uh, that Sid is there for for his role in gen, general instruments. General instruments. We have cash registers for you to look at and maybe touch sometimes. It beeps, it boops, it works for you. Um, if you want to buy a sweater, use general instrument ca cash registers. Now with two decimal points. <laughs> so according to legend, at this uh, at this convention, uh, Sid Meier and Wild Bill, uh, John Ooh. Wild Bill Steely, Bill had uh, worked, he, he, was, uh, he, he was in the Air Force, he was an aviator, and... Uh, they were hanging out and playing on a arcade cabinet for a game called Red Baron. Red Baron, developed by Atari, a first-person flight simulator where you are a World War One ace in a biplane on the side of the Allies. So Bill was a pilot, Sid was a programmer, and uh, they actually challenged each other to figure out who would actually be better at a flight simulator, a computer programmer, or a pilot. 
Sid won the game. Yeah, Sid, and, uh, Sid kept beating him. And, yeah. and Steely is just like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Yeah, and, I'm a pilot. I yeah. should be able to beat you at the plane game. And Sid is like, I have studied the programming of this game and have learned its many tricks, and that's why I'm beating you. Yeah, I can anticipate time. how the game will respond before I do anything. Seize the matrix. Uh, and not only that, he bragged about how he knew a way to make the game even better, that mm-hmm. like he could make an even better, more realistic flight simulator than the game they had played. Yes, and so uh, Steely told him that he would sell the game for Meyer if Meyer could make it. So the game would end up becoming Hellcat Ace, completed in two months, and would sell 50 copies in Steely's first sales meeting, which is pretty cool. And then and this was back in the day before, you know, CompUSA, before yeah. Amazon, before the idea of computer software sales as we know it. These guys are literally just like trading plastic baggies with floppy disks in them. So they go, whoa, 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 we sold 50 we should have a company. At first it was going to be called Smuggler's Software, but they ended up going with Micropros, and uh, they advertised it with Experience the Micropros Challenge with three games all written by Sid Meier for the Atari 8-bit family of home computers, along with Hellcat Ace. There was also a platformer called Floyd of the Jungle and a 2D shooter called Chopper Rescue. Uh, Sid was very proud of Floyd of the Jungle because he realized that by using different fonts and text uh, sizes, he could kind of make uh, animated graphics using ASCII characters. <laughs> um, and again, so that's the level of computing we're working on. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's actually kind of a, a great uh, arrangement because it's how many times have we covered like the the, the hardcore salesman, the driven like kind of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the marketing guy and then the quiet savant in the background like doing the technical wizardry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, there's always a dramatic downfall, and I believe it is definitely Wild Bill Steely's obsession with the company making only flight sims that would actually become the reason why this company would later end up kind of folding. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that, but oh, uh, uh, that's what they become known for at first with uh, successors from Hellcat Ace, like Spitfire Ace and Solo Flight. The company is now known for uh, their flight sims, uh, combat flight sims specifically, <laughs> even though they did have an air traffic control game called Kennedy Approach, which uh, was made by a different developer, um, but that's also got to be... I, I, lo- I It's so funny watching those videos of dudes online like wearing pilot outfits like at their home console oh oh the world doing of, like full air traffic control correspondence and shit i mean flights and people are yeah. crazy oh yeah doing like four hour flights yeah, and yeah. stuff yeah i mean the only people crazier are the trucker simulator people <laughs> and even then it's like you know it's it's like who's the biggest turd in the turlet like it's you know <laughs> is it really winning you know sid meyer he is uh he's just one of those talented programmers that knows how to get he just knows software tricks. He just discovers a new software trick, finds a way to kind of incorporate it into a flight sim, and all of a sudden, you know, a microprose flight sim has is just a little bit more responsive because the you know the little line on the horizon can rotate faster than mm-hmm, usual. Mm-hmm. Now this is weird. This is where it gets a little fuzzy. Uh, but Sid Meier, uh, this what's the exact timing? There's three games that Whoa. kind of changed the direction of the company. All right, so. During this time, um, they they start developing for the personal computer called the Amiga, which is de- developed by the Commodore or by Commodore, mm-hmm. uh, and they developed specifically for that for its entire run from 1985 to 1980, uh, 1994. 
So nine years. Um, and they even ended up uh, branching out, opening up another office in the UK to cross-publish titles in Europe and, and uh, import stuff. And essentially what happens is Sid Meier, in his opinion at least, perfects everything he wanted to do with combat flight sims in these next titles with F-15 Strike Eagle, Gunship, Stealth Fighter. Um, there's even a submarine combat sim called uh, Silent Service. I, Silent Service is actually uh, apparently like a... Four weird military sim nerds love that. <laughs> Amazing, shit. right? So after Meyer completes the game F-19 Stealth Fighter, he felt that, and I quote, everything I thought was cool about a flight simulator had gone into that game. I think he just hit the end of the road when it came to combat flight sims. He was ready to move on to other things. And that's when we get Sid Meier's Pirates. Uh, this was a sim for the life of a pirate, privateer, or pirate hunter. Now, this is a simulation based on pirate fiction, not it's a historical little... pirate stuff. Well, actually, one of the things that uh, Sid Meier's Pirates did differently is that it kind of jumps around between different mini-games because uh, there's, like, exploring the Caribbean. There's, mm -hmm. like, talking to leaders. There's ship-to-ship uh, -ship combat. There's sword-fighting mechanics. And... Uh, uh, it's uh, Sid Meier talked about. Uh, I'm. I just. He has a four-part interview series on uh, one of the uh, on Soren Johnson's podcast. It's mm. incredibly uh, captivating to listen to him. That's where I'm getting a lot of this information. Great. He talks about how he was playing a bunch of the Infocom uh, text adventure games, which were big uh, at around that time, and how it was super frustrating because half the game is just being like. Can I pick this up? Do not know what pickup is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can I lift? <laughs> yes, you can lift. <laughs> I think that was definitely my issue with like the early adventure oh, yeah, games yeah, where yeah. I'm just like, I feel like I'm just throwing shit into the Go wind. left. What is left? <laughs> yeah. Go uh. west. Thank you. <laughs> you died. <laughs> <laughs> you died immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't even know what killed you. Uh, and so uh, Sid Meier's Pirates is heavily focused on graphics. Uh uh, on a graphical interface, uh, he he his unique uh, you know programming wizardry went into compressing a lot of graphics that could fit uh, onto the available memory at the time, so you could have these like big splash images and animations, um, and it would jump around. It wouldn't like carry your hand from place to place. He was like, "All right, this is just 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 the interesting parts of being a pirate." So it was less of a like a a thinking simulation more of like a fun adventure romp mm -hmm. and uh according to legend yeah we're gonna talk about the robin williams of course it's I, I could not find any fucking confirmation of this even sid meyer, even claims sid meyer that this, says that this is not the case he says that wild bill says this was the case and then even in other interviews wild bill says he made up this idea. so according to bill steely uh this is why sid meyer's name ended up in front of his own games he said, we were at dinner at a software publishers association meeting and Robin Williams was there and he kept us in stitches for two hours. And he turns to me and says, Bill, you should put Sid's name on a couple of these boxes and promote him as the star. And that's how Sid's name got on Pirates and Civilization. But Myers has gone on to say, no, that's an idea that that like Steely had. Um and uh, yeah, so and but you get some early little inklings of the. But it's Civ just games. a matter that uh, uh, Wild Bill was invested in the idea of Microprose being the serious military uh, company, and so if he had to release a game that wasn't that, they might as well label it as 
oh, well, this is a Sid Meier game, not really a microprose. Right. And I mean, luckily that would work out for them later when we get into the lawsuit stuff to help to differentiate their civilization from another civilization. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we game should, series. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll get there. But first, I just wanted to mention that pirates really started the wheels turning towards what civilization would become with little things like uh, which era to start at at the beginning of the game and managing diplomatic relations between four nations. You've got little bits going there. Also, you have the Civilization board game. This is a game that was published by Francis Tresham in the UK in 1980. It took eight plus hours to play with two to seven players. It is considered to be the first that had a tech tree, which is really fascinating uh, to me. As you invested in different technologies, it would affect which, squ which squares on the board you could navigate through or build upon. Uh, so that's how they applied the idea of like, uh, oh, well, you don't have like... Uh, you don't have, like, uh, uh, astronomy, so you can't navigate the open seas. Right, and and those things building off of other things and having that choice of which tech you're unlocking really dictate the approach you are taking to the game and have this really crucial... Essentially, it is a way to make the game feel different for you every time unless you're choosing the exact same tech every time. Oh, and each player starts with a single population token and tries to grow and expand their empire to build the greatest civilization, very similar to the game. Uh, players are encouraged to trade and cooperate with each other, which is actually unlike a lot of the games of this time. And that is true for video games as well. Combat was so much the focus of so many games on computers and the board game, especially when it came, you know, Risk mm -hmm. and stuff like that, where everyone's at war and everyone's just trying to destroy each other. This was one of those games that was like, no, you can get along with each other and try to build up together. Um, as But also, combat was a possibility and sometimes totally inevitable. And the game is actually designed to limit players' geographical expansion possibilities, forcing them to deal with other civilizations uh, militarily, diplomatically, otherwise. So, so this yeah. is where things get a little bit interesting uh, because we have uh, Tresham, who is... Uh, you know this legend among the tabletop gaming community. Uh, you know all of the all of your weird. Hold in, you know more than anyone in this room. All the weird European board games that kind of like came through, uh, uh, and it was uh, published in America by a company called Avalon Hill. Ah, okay. Who also did like uh, a, Shit, you man. own Avalon Hill games? Yeah, I'm sure I do. Work. By the way, a great two player board game I just got. Uh, Patchwork. Oh. It's uh you're making your own quilt and it's a two player only game and I am loving playing it with my wife. A little shout out to that one. Oh, I just have sex like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good for you. What do you do out the hours after the sex? What? <laughs> it never stops. Once you're on board the fuck train, there's no there's no getting off. All right, with the fuck train. Please. I mean I mean it, there's no getting off. I I have a problem. Anyway, um <laughs> Hey everybody, this is your bodacious bruiser Jake here to tell you about this week's sponsor, DoorDash. We all know that feeling when it's the end of a long day at school or the office and the world has just kicked your butt up and down the block. And when you finally get home, the last thing you really want to do is start slaving over a hot stove. Well, next time, why not treat yourself and let your favorite restaurants come to you? Get the meal you deserve with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint probably already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so 
But it's a great place to find your new favorite place too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, that's right, bonus Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Stop worrying about dinner and let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code WIZARD. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code WIZARD. Don't forget, that's promo code WIZARD for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So here's a weird twist is working at the Avalon Hill Company was a guy named Bruce Shelley. And Bruce Shelley not only was like working at Avalon Hill, so he absolutely played Civilization, uh, possibly with Sid Meier. Uh, he also personally was responsible for localizing the game 1830, which was a railroad yes. uh, buildings uh, board game. And so it was kind of a weird coincidence that the next game that uh, the two worked on together once Bruce Shelley was working at Microprose was Railroad Tycoon. Yes. So so Meyer at this time, by the way, is getting really inspired by the God game genre that was getting very popular at the time. There was Populous in 1989. Uh, that's a game in which the player takes on the role of a deity who leads their followers in an attempt to eliminate the followers of the opposing deity. Peter um, Molyneux. We'll get into him someday. That weird fucking French lying English weirdo. <laughs> there was SimCity. That's the big one, right? Mm. SimCity building up these towns. Myers definitely gains his at- Myers' attention, right? So it's not just the Civilization board game. I think there's a big misconception that he adapted the Civilization board game, but he claims that the Civilization board game was like the smallest of the influences when it comes to Empire and SimCity and stuff like that. Uh, Bruce Shelley, yeah, he made the board game 1830, The Game of Railroads and Robber Barons, uh, which was a game highly influenced by the railroad-based board game 1829. Oh, why did I write down 1830? Whatever. Well, no, no, he named it 1830. The original game that he based that board game off of Mm. was uh, 1829. And then he made, uh, maybe, it was almost like a sequel in his mind, he made 1830, The Game of Railroads and Robber Barons. We're getting, like, deep in the weeds with this railroad board game shit, right? And according to Meyer, he was, like, on vacation and just uh, remembered building model railroads as a kid. Mm. And uh, he built a prototype that was literally just about building model railroad lines. Um, Because he was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun, like, to just have the thrill of setting all these things in motion without... um, the pain in the ass of having to buy and set up all this bullshit. And rem- did we mention the F that he worked with? Shelley worked with Meyer on F-19 Stealth Fighter. Oh, okay. Did we mention that? No. That is when Meyer learned of his abilities and said, hey, you should work with me. Be my assistant, mm-hmm. right? And that is when we get to what you were getting to, which is? Oh, that Bruce Shelley, probably with his experience from uh, 1830, Uh, It was like, I know a way to gamify building a bunch of fucking trains. Fuck yeah, he did. And that is where we get Railroad Tycoon, a business sim in which one tries to build and manage a railroad company. Again, the phrase, I said it at the very beginning, I called myself, I'm not a builder-upper. The phrase build up is a big, big uh, concept that's developing in gaming at this time. Uh, The idea that instead of trying to destroy everything around you, you're trying to actually make something big and awesome that... Has a bunch of systems all working together. Um, it was well the, received. Uh, the the genre. I don't. So there was uh, the game Masters of Orion, which comes up a lot in like okay. early influential stuff. 
uh, was the uh, that designer was named Alan Emmerich, and he first coined it 4X. Mm. And the 4X is the genre where it's explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate parentheses your rivals. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, the game is well received. But the problem is, and this is going back to what I mentioned before about uh, Wild Bill, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the games that they're putting out because the rest of the games are all these flight sim games. And so they really wanted to make a sequel, but that was canceled. Uh, that was canceled so that they would work on the other flight sim games that, they're, that um, Microprose is trying to pump out. But for them, they knew, hey, we've got this really interesting concept here. We, we have several smaller systems working together so that the player can manage them all at once to essentially rule a whole civilization potentially in, in, in a coming game. They also, at this time, because um, their eyes turn towards civilizations when they uh, get, you know, they're also remembering game series like Empire that was based on board games like Risk in which players uh, begin to uh, begin the game by taking control of a single city with it and only uh, the area around it revealed on the map and then slowly expanding and exploring the rest of the area around. They basically ask themselves, what else can we do with the idea of tiles and expansion and factions. And it didn't take that much, uh, you know, wiggling to be like, oh, the history of human struggle. <laughs> right. And, you know, but Empire is really, I think, the biggest influence. Again, I think, I, did I say board game? Because it's a video game series. Oh, literally, uh, Bruce Shelley says in, um, uh, there, there's so many, there's nothing the video game industry loves to do than host a dice conference or GDC and invite Bruce Shelley and Sid Meier to just jerk each other off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, bet. they don't literally do it, but like, but I would watch it. It's over the pants. I'd look, um, I'd look at it. Uh, one of the first things that uh, Sid Meier told uh, Bruce to do when they were in the proto stages of civilization is just uh, play Empire Deluxe and name ten things you'd improve. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And Meyer ends up coming back. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Shelley. Meyer challenged Shelley to give him ten things he'd improve about Empire. He returns with twelve. What a nerd! <laughs> and in May of 1990, in May of 1990, Sid Meier presents Shelley with a floppy disk containing the first prototype of Civilization, which took elements that they had discussed involving Empire, Railroad Tycoon, Sim City, and the Civilization board game. Then they just start working. This is the, oh my god, how many times do we have this story? The company is is focused on one type of product. There's a couple of little scamps in the Upstarts. company. Upstarts. that say, you know what? We'll make your big game you need us to make. But all the while in secret, we're going to be working on this whole new thing, a passion project, something we both really believe in as a product. That is exactly what happens here. They are now, essentially at this point, Sid Meier's more like a contractor role oh, in the yeah. company. Uh, He's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wild Bill had bought out Sid at that point. And so he's he is, in a way, working independently already from the rest of Microprose. And uh, Shelly is acting as the producer on the project. And, and, and in, other, in other words, Meyer's coming to him with updates. Uh, Shelly is checking them out and then coming back and saying, here's, here's a note, here's a note, here's a note, how to make it more fun, how to smooth it out. His Meyer's whole goal, I don't have this specific quote, but his whole goal was like, I want to take out all the ch shitty things about sim games that make them for uber nerds, that make them too complicated for mass market and too, you know, cumbersome and whatever. Let's take all that shit out and only include the fun stuff about sims. 
How do we just, how do we simplify it, pare it down to the point where it is just the fun? I'm going to add a little Elvis. <laughs> yeah, add a little Elvis, little personality, and make it sm feel smooth. And I never put my hands on Civ 1, so I'm not sure how the very first one felt. But damn, does Civ 5 just rap, just immediately, I mean, as a person who never fucking plays Sims games, that game did an incredible job of of bringing me a newcomer in just so smoothly into the into the flow of that game. Uh, you know, uh, Microprose was so hostile to the Civ project that they actually uh, put their foot down and demanded that Bruce and Sid stop working on yes. Civ and put together a military. Uh, a military game called i believe it's covert ops or covert yeah, action yeah yeah that was i think that's after the is that i think that's after the first game comes out but I no no it's between. no no you're right it is it is during so yeah because and and okay. which apparently uh of the era military sim nerds love that game it's apparently a classic really and Didn't, so but Wild Bill is essentially going like, what the fuck are you guys doing? We make these kinds of games. Why are you making this kind of game? And and he had, uh, as much as in hindsight, uh, you know, you can look back and be like, what are you talking about, Wild Bill? But Meyer has this to say uh, about that time. When the original Civ game came out, strategy was kind of a dirty word. And in the computer gaming industry, it was associated with games that were complicated, hard to play, and took a long time to set up. So, yes, in 1990, they have to take a break. They're forced by Wild Bill to focus on covert action. But that was actually a good thing for Civ because they take that time away, and then when they come back to their civilization project, they see all the holes that they hadn't seen before. They got enough time away from it just to return to it and and. Man, nothing realize, like time to make a person realize that the thing they've been working on is terrible. Yeah, right? Well, one of the things, it was a real-time game, and they changed it to turn-based. Which maybe is the most important Probably step. the most important change they made early on. They also, there was a zoning mechanic, and they replaced it with uh, settler units. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that changes is specifically, <laughs> but it's it, it just fundamental changes, though, right? And so uh, I think the zoning mechanic was more akin to a SimCity mechanic. And then they add and changed it and have those settlers where they can mm. go out and they can get, you know, find and make the new cities for you as, as opposed to the zone. Uh, another uh, weird mechanic in the first Sim that uh, I saw Bruce talk about is uh, a meme arose that people who played the game uh, were shocked where uh, combat was determined not by like um, – it was it was kind of a dice roll. The stronger your unit, the better your chances of winning. Uh, but in theory, there could be altercations where a spearman could defeat a battleship, and yes. people were like, and it was like a big point of contention. While uh, Sid thought it was just a fun thing to show how goofy the game can be, uh, Bruce is like, I got so many people complaining about this. <laughs> of course, we already talked about the technology tree, but that was a big fundamental thing from the very beginning to change the experience every time. And uh, they, you know, they didn't do a ton of research, especially in this first game. Shelly said everything we needed was pretty much available in the children's section of the library. Uh, we're not talking. It gets deeper later and it becomes used for education later in later games. But for now, it, they're keeping it pretty basic. Um, and they also uh, removed the possibility of a civilization falling on its own. They, did, they wanted to avoid punishing the player in that way. Um, that did not include online multiplayer, citing that it didn't work great with the turn-based gameplay and also because, quote, if you had friends, you wouldn't need to play computer games. <laughs> I think that's a Meyer quote. Uh, that's early on. Again, that is a that quote, though, is a really good window into the where 
we were at with computer games in the early 90s late 80s right it was not a it wasn't a thing that anybody cool ever did right mm-hmm. and it wasn't an, a super accessible thing so they end up uh, doing a bunch of play testing they make the map smaller they rework the tech tree they do a bunch of things and they put civilization out and from the very beginning civilization is being undermarketed it's this black sheep of the company i think wild bill was very reluctant to even have it be a part of the namesake of microprose but word of mouth spreads people start to catch on and it ends up oh uh right this is the quote after about a year and 170 thousand dollars which was the budget for civilization it was released no promotion but it slowly 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 led to its popularity and led to uh what is said to be the golden period of microprose um and doing very very well and setting the wheels in motion now they still have to fight for these sequels to to come out too because again wild bill not all about uh the 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 success of this oddball sim game that he never thought would work out. So this game establishes a lot of the things that, uh, you know, carries on to this day, uh, the kind of inverted pyramid of decision-making where you start out and just like literally just picking where to put a city. And then from there, one decision becomes two decisions, becomes three decisions, Mm -hmm. becomes every turn is like just a giant session of uh, micromanagement. Uh, The humor uh, the Civipedia, everything from the goofy like uh, world leader graphics to just fun little cheeky uh, 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 just side jokes. Um, uh, Sid is apparently still very proud of the line. Uh, Athens times lions defeat the gladiators in a ten to two rout. This was also the uh, game that from the very beginning establishes Gandhi as being a crazy nuclear war monger, and this is why. So I never understood this why why he was cuz I was I just thought it was a glitch that he they made him weirdly mean and then they just didn't they pulled back on it but it was actually very explainable. So the game has an aggression value for each leader from 1 to 255. And Gandhi's is set to the number 1. Uh but of course, you know, because he's known as the most peaceful like dude or whatever, right? Yet when a civilization achieves a democracy as its form of government, the leader's aggression falls by two. But since its value is an 8-bit unsigned integer, that number doesn't go to negative one. So it Y2Ks. It, ra- it Y2Ks to 255. And so that's why. So it's only if um, a city becomes a democracy and his his number bounces down and then he just insta becomes the, the most over-the-top warring uh, leader in the whole game but it's a good it's it's such a perfect um just uh i don't know example of how the world of civilization is not the world that we know it that this is a parallel kind of universe and that uh despite the history trappings the systems are the reality of this world uh that you know in in a, in a game of civilization you can get nuked by gandhi and you can like uh make peace with otto von bismarck Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't. He fucking tries to wreck my shit. It's a fucking piece of God damn it! <laughs> but you see these, you know, you see these little photos, little you know, splash pages. You've got the, you've got the little people moving around the re- map. But Meyer always, always pushed for the player's imagination being at play. He said, engaging your imagination is the key. If we can draw you out of your real life and into the imaginary place. That's when a game starts to work. You're thinking as if you're in the game and not just playing. I think Civ does that by almost forcing you to think about a lot of different things and making those decisions. And I will say, when I was at war with Berlin yesterday, there was nothing else. (laughs) 
I was just at war with Berlin, and I had no. I, I literally, I, I, I don't. I have, especially lately, have not experienced this that much. I looked up and was like, "Oh my god, another hour just passed." I was supposed to like stop playing this an hour ago <laughs> and feeling insane sitting in the dark, like I was sixteen again. Uh, so this is a good time probably to bring up the one-third rule. Sid Meier said, we have a rule. One-third, one-third, one-third. For the next game, one-third will stay the same, those core aspects. One-third will be systems that we like but think could be improved, and one-third will be new ideas. Uh, in fact, there should probably be another third, which is the one-third we take out. Basically, at this point, for every new thing we put in, we should take one thing out. We don't want it to become overwhelming. So... Uh, while they're doing their thing, the internet becomes its own thing, and multiplayer online games, especially on PCs and whatnot, become a huge deal. So Sid Meier ends up not working on Civ 2, but instead working on CivNet, which would allow for up to eight players to play the game together, along with a map editor and ability to customize the names and looks of their civilizations. Um, Somewhere along the line, a uh, Super Nintendo port is made of the <laughs> first Civ, and it's surprisingly competent. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so while on CivNet, a man named Brian Reynolds is able to quietly take the lead on Civ 2. Reynolds said, Microprose sincerely believed that CivNet was going to be a much more important product, which allowed him to innovate with new ideas while their backs were turned. Uh, I He didn't say that. I said that. Um Reynolds joins Microprose as a uh, lead programmer on graphic adventure games and then collaborated with Sid Meier on his colonization game, which was released in 1994, a turn-based strategy game, but specifically about the European colonization of the New World. Mm -hmm. um, and also he was pulled into uh, another adventure game, uh, or I'm sorry, also they pulled in another adventure game writer to join named Doug Kaufman. They partnered up with a man named Jeff Briggs, who started out as a music composer in NYC before getting into games with his first uh, appearing in Sword of the Samurai, which is another early Sid Meier game. There was Pirates, and then there was Sword of the Samurai, which was like a sim for being a samurai in feudal Japan. Uh, and what they wanted to do was uh, make, make some definite changes. The, the biggest, one of the biggest ones, instead of a top-down uh, view you're getting an isometric view which would become standard for all the games henceforth uh they wanted improved ai and this is going to be something that is go is going to be a running theme for all the games moving forward right just having a, a competent ai that's the hardest thing to do right because if you're losing to, uh it's uh i think sid meyer actually has a quote on it where it's mm -hmm. like uh amazing ai will feel like cheating to a player and so it's about it's more of a psychological game than an actual like teaching the computer to play your game better um it's but, also just it's it's a lot easier to create um unpredict or predictable or whatever other systems in place but the idea of trying to create a real feeling human being Mm -hmm. that ha that has their own independent thoughts and has their own independent personality that makes choices based on all that stuff. Very tricky to do from a programming perspective. Uh, there was also a huge... Uh, so Brian uh, was actually... Uh, he consulted the Usenet forums that were available at the time. You know, this was still a proto kind of internet... Uh, you know, not the, not the amazing series of phone apps we now use. This was the Wild West of the Internet. And uh, he learned a lot about kind of what people were looking for in an open-ended, nonlinear strategy game. Uh, stuff like, uh, you know, making sure that the AI had units that the player felt uh, 
was appropriate because, uh, you know, if you ramped up the difficulty too much, the AI would cheat. It would just have units and resources that it shouldn't have had at that point, and the players would feel cheaped out on. Uh, also, two huge technologies were coming through the pipeline. First, CD-ROMs. Second, Windows. Mm. And um, for, a, for a game as menu-heavy and as, like, kind of full of uh, art assets as Civilization... These were two huge boons. Um, so uh, uh, a lot of the microprose people, while Civ 2 was being developed, would come in and just be like, so wh why are you just making Civilization for Windows? That's That seems weird. But it turns out this was a giant leap forward in people's uh, computing platforms, and it was one of the first uh, Windows games that kind of felt grand and appropriate for the operating system it was working in. Mm-hmm. Um, it also had it, those funny movie guys. <laughs> I don't. Can we talk about the advisors? Or, or no, we're still at the making of Civ 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that great quote on AI, by the way. This is from Sid Meier himself. We understand why food leads to people. We understand why resources lead to units. We understand why science leads to technology. But we don't really understand how people work, how to program that. I love this phrase, the math of people. Mm. It's rough, right? That's like the last thing you can mathematize almost, you know, the way people act based on their emotions and their past and, and their brain. By the way, there was also um, the first game, even as much as they tried to make it about these many different uh, victory types, it still was way more focused on military than they had wanted. So they end up trying to pull that back or not even necessarily pull that back, but really expand on how trade and diplomacy can lead to other paths to victory and make that much more integral to the game. Um, they also, uh, the production was done in total secret up until release. Um, and you can talk about the guys now. Okay. <laughs> so in the, uh, this is, I thought this was magic. I thought this was the coolest thing when I went over to like my friend's house who did have civilization for their computer. The, all I wanted to do was just watch the dumb videos of the high council, which replaced like the normal advisors with these shoddy ass rent pair looking <laughs> community theater idiots. Uh, there was the science advisor who was kind of like just a nerd in a toga. There was the military advisor who was a fat asshole and like he started as kind of a knight and then would, you know, he started as a legionnaire that would then become a knight that would then become like a cigar chomping Thunderbolt Ross guy. Uh, the foreign advisor was this like accented lady who was the only woman on the council. Uh, the trade advisor was awesome uh, because this was amazing. He started out as like, uh, you know, he started out as like a, a fancy, like, you know, a toga wearing guy. He would then like get like luscious Renfair stuff on, you know, like he was like a he was, you know, a, a, a stereotype of a European trade magnate. And then he turned in, in the modern era. He would turn into. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. Got him all over the place. <laughs> the advisor's costumes would change as the eras like moved on. Nice. So like the guy that was in a toga in the earliest uh, part of the game would by the modern era have like full on Wall Street douchebags <laughs> clothes on who would like say stuff like, uh, you know, uh, trade moron ever heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the one that I thought was at the time hilarious was the quote unquote attitude advisor who was just an elvis impersonator it was just an awful elvis impersonator who would say stuff like uh you know without proper culture your population is going to be living in a heartbreak hotel 
Uh, a lot of these people were just a lot. Of, were just no name actors. Uh, most people didn't appear in anything noteworthy after this. The only exception is the trade advisor, who was played by a guy named Spencer Hum. Who um, this is this is very specific, but. If you've ever gone to a Ren fair and saw the hack and slash comedy show, he was slash. He was. <laughs> so chances are you've seen this guy juggle without realizing it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, uh, and my friend hated that I wanted to click on all the videos. <laughs> he hated me. <laughs> and I just wanted to see the funny Elvis man. Uh, that just reminds me of this time when I went to my friend's place and I was uh, he had Donkey Kong Country and he was like, but let's go play basketball. And I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to play your Super Nintendo until I beat Donkey Kong oh, Country. Oh, God. But I want to play basketball. I, I know, but you have Donkey Kong Country and I'm almost at King Cole. Hold in. This is too real. This I know, is too right? Real. So, so that's Civ 2. Civ 3 comes out in 2001. Well, Civ 2 is huge. Civ 2 is huge. Civ 2 is huge. It kind of, it's, in theory, in a lot of ways, more important than Civ 1 uh-huh. in terms of, uh, you know, how it works out. Uh, it sells millions of copies. Uh, it's it's uh, you know it once it makes it to universities people start playing land games that can last like weeks on end um uh and uh in between two and three uh Brian Reynolds oh this is the thing we we should have mentioned is uh uh basically everybody who makes a sib game goes on to make their own kind of better sib game. <laughs> Mm. Uh, Bruce Shelley ends up making Age of Empires, uh-huh. and uh, Brian Reynolds ends up making Rise of Nations, which mm. I actually remember playing a ton of back mm-hmm, in the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in between the the making of uh, Civ Three, uh, Brian jumps ship to make uh, to start big huge games, which is the Rise of Nations company, uh-huh. and it um, falls on Jeff Briggs, who's basically the last uh, guy from the original for. Rax's trilogy. And he brings in Soren Johnson for Civ 3 who would end up be writing the entire AI for that game. He also uh, Soren would go on to work on Spore, that big uh, thing that happened in games. And uh, culture became a central focus in 3 as opposed to military with the city able to expand its borders by investing in cultural buildings and achievements. That was one of the big things with 3. I'm not going to spend too much time on 3. Uh, because I want to talk about everything that happened with for, uh, this whole Firaxis and the lawsuit. Oh. So, Bill Steely. Thank you for not screaming at me <laughs> when I started falling on a seg. Because this is important. This is important. <laughs> so, Bill Steely, he is dead set on their fight sims, as I discussed before. And uh, that's where he's at. Feeling like, um, you know, while Civ is just quietly making giant waves in the background. Um and he ends up, you know, just putting all of his eggs in one basket for Microprose, finds himself in terrible debt. He ends up selling the company. It slowly dissolves under its new owners. The collapse leads Meyer, Reynolds, and Briggs to leave and found Firaxis Games. Um, I've heard Firaxis and Fireaxis, and oh, I can't figure out which well, one's yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get I never say it right. I never say anything the correct way. <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, they opened that up in Sparks, Maryland in 1996. The game it is derived from Fiery Axis, which is a uh, uh, p- was put together into Firaxis, which is a uh, piece of music. The name of a piece of music that Briggs wrote back in the day. Amazing. They also they set out to be a design house. They want the publishing to be dealt with by the outside by outside contractors. 
They end up signing a big deal with EA's Origin Systems label for publishing. Their first titles were Sid Meier's Gettysburg, which I believe that was a big deal too, right? As well as Alpha Centauri, which is a space-based civilization-style game where you colonize the planet of Alpha Centauri. I think they wait, were... Wait, Alpha Centauri is where you go at the end of Civilization? Yes. So why didn't they just call it a sequel to Civilization? Why wasn't it Civilization Alpha Centauri? Well, that's why we got to talk about these lawsuits, son. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> Litigation. <laughs> Litigation corner on Wizard and the Bruiser. During this time, depositions. Guess, and and get when when whenever there's a lawsuit, uh, the name Activision can come up quite a bit. Activision. Ooh, this is some sneaky shit. They acquire the rights to the name Civilization from Avalon Hill, who owned the license to the Civilization board game. Fuckers. So Avalon Hill put out a expanded version of the original game called Advanced Civilization. Uh, you know, uh, like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know, just just that's a common tabletop trope. Um. And then, out of nowhere, Avalon Hill is like, oh, yeah, maybe we should make video games. And so, this is this is complete hearsay, but I heard that Activision literally went under the table to help them develop, to get them funds to develop this game. Mm. Uh, there is a PC game called Advanced Civilization that came out after Sid Meier's Civilization, but before Civ 2. And um, nobody bought it. It only cost... Like it only, I think it only sold twenty thousand copies according to like Moby Games or one of those like weird, vaguely helpful internet archives of old uh, computer games. But Activision was like, "Oh hey, we would love to publish your popular your game Civilization. We should have the rights to Civilization." Yeah, and like not old. Uh, if you if you're following, uh, if you're a diehard Whizbrew fan, this isn't. Fun old-time Activision. Right. This is 90s Bobby Kotick. Monster Activision. Yeah. So in response, Microprose, they buy the original publisher of the board game, Harland Trefoil, yep. in, De- in December of that same year. Which is amazing because down. Avalon Hill was acting like, yeah. oh, like, we ha yeah. we, we we win. And then they were just like, okay, well, we'll get the OG board game maker because you guys just put You were it- just sub-licensing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dirty, man. So after the suits and the countersuits and all the dust clears, Avalon, Activision, and Microprose settle out of court with Microprose coming out on top, getting over 400 grand and the rights. The French company Infogrames bought Hasbro Interactive for $100 million, including the Civ rights, and would go on to publish several Firaxis games such as Civ 3. Um, after that, that, oh, that was later. But before that, um, the one thing that Activision gets is they get to make their own Civ titled game. Civ, Civilization Call to Power, which yes. was this like bizarre thing that, uh, they made a sequel for, but it was called Call to Power 2 because yes. by that point they definitively did not have the rights. Yes. So yeah, they, they had to call the sequel the name of the subtitle instead yeah. of Civilization. Such a weird ass thing and and that was what i was talking about way back when when i was like it was a really good move putting sid myers mm. in front of civilization because it's not like they would know this would ever happen but this later thing like no one would confuse that activision civilization game with a sid meyer game because every sid meyer game has his name in front of it well actually civilization 2 initially didn't have sid oh, Meier's didn't? name on top of it oh interesting well uh, either way um, Which means um, they were probably very excited to get this lawsuit figured out. Yes. So anyways, that – okay, so that goes down. Later, the French company Infogrames bought Hasbro Interactive 
including the Civ rights, and they would go on to publish the Firaxis games such as Civ 3 onward. But in 2004, Take Two bought the rights to the franchise for 22. Take Two, the giant conglomerate yes. that owns all the 2K sports games and uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yep. Uh, they, they get the rights to the franchise for 22.3 million buckadoos, and they end up publishing everything from Civ 4 up to what we have now with Civ 6 and all the expansions. So, Civilization 4. Now, this is the game. I think this is the first of the Civilization games that I heard people say, like, oh, I lost so many hours to this in college. You know what I mean? And, like, mm -hmm. the, I think 4 was really the game for my generation, at least, that was just, like, this fucking end-all, be-all, I just forever game for certain people until 5 would come out at least. The game engine was built from scratch with help from the Gamebryo engine that was used for games like Fallout 3, Catherine, and Bully Scholarship Edition. It was designed by Soren Johnson, who we mentioned before, under the direction of Sid Meier. Uh, there was some really cool stuff. There was narration provided by Leonard Nimoy. The biggest thing was definitely the addition of religion, which has been this very much so altered and debated over and tweaked thing going starting in Civilization 4. Um, and it would essentially, it directly affects things like civics and diplomatic relations. It could be spread through the world, choosing between seven each with their own advantages. Uh, and, uh, there was also with four, actually it was four, I believe that the mods, like the, the mm -hmm. floodgates were opened on mods, the game, uh, the game data and the rules restored in XML files and a software development kit was released formally in 2006 to allow players to customize the game ai maps rules really make it your own which i think is a very cool move on their part two things that i really admire learning about sid meyer and the civilization um, franchise no microtransactions and this is really cool here this reminds me of uh id software and how cool they were john carmack was about releasing you know allowing mods and supporting mods and in a game like civilization that's a very fun thing because there's so much you can fuck with in a, in a Civ game. I mean, how many building strategy exploration games are out now on Steam that become these weird like indie hits mm. that were, you know, born from this mod community? Right. How many people cut their teeth building mods for Civ games? Totally. Um, you kind of, uh, un you know, you didn't mention mm. one of the, I feel like, one of the biggest things that made Civ 4 great. Is Elvis in this one too? Uh, probably. <laughs> almost uniformly guaranteed but uh no the fucking bomb ass opening song that yes. plays during the opening cinematic baba yetu can you please give us it can you do it for us can you uh, give us baba yetu yetu ele yetumbeguni yetu amina baba yetu yetu elue mg no i can't you know what mary can you play some baba yetu can you just play some baba yetu right now can you mary can you give me some goddamn baba yetu <laughs> Thank you. Jake uh, definitely made me put it on before this recording and stared at me for the entire process of, uh, of Baba Yetu. Uh, it was composed by Christopher Tin, and basically all it is is just the uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. Uh, it's translated into, uh, is it Swahili? Yes, it is in Swahili. And uh, weirdly enough, this song became its own fucking thing in the world of Christian choir music. And as we speak, somewhere in the world, there is a group of, like, sexually frustrated teenagers 
crammed in a bus, <laughs> traveling to some kind of convention, practicing this song as we speak. Touching weirdly over the pants. Absolutely, <laughs> they did. Oh, Baba, my year too. Civ <laughs> <laughs> uh, 4, great game. Great game. Leads to what many argue, and I happen to agree, even though I haven't played Civ 4 uh, or the it ones launched before with, it. Uh, it was apparently horrifically buggy at launch. Five it, or four? Four. Oh, because I was about to bring up five, which I think is, to, to many, is the end-all, be-all Civ, at least up to this point. Uh, while using the Gamebryo engine, they built a graphics engine from the ground up called Lore, uh, and it contains one of the most complex terrain systems ever made. I believe it's because there's a lot of real-time rendering that's happening all over the map, and you can see it. You can see that pop in as you move around the map once the map gets really big. Uh, the team of artists led by John Schaefer grew quickly from 7 to 56. There's a ton of art assets in this game. There's a ton of everything in this game. Five is where we got hexagons. Five is where we got hexagons. Five is where we got everyone working in close proximity uh, on this game to solve their problems faster. They they This tight workflow that they had in creating this game. Uh, they had this... Uh, they also had a, a big change that impacted development was the move to one unit per tile. So I did not realize this was like a, a development with five because I hadn't played before. That changed the whole game's core systems completely and pushed the devs to create a totally new AI system. I guess you could stack before yeah, I and actually... choose which unit you wanted to attack, but now you had to think of it a lot more strategically and flanking and all that kind of stuff became a bigger issue. Any old head civilization fan has at least one memory of them like getting their ass kicked in some like conflict before they like just literally forgot that like the one spearman in the bottom corner of the map that they forgot about was actually stacked with like three chariot archers yeah. <laughs> like and just being like ah fuck and and this is what pushed the devs to create a totally new ai system which is where a man named ed beach comes in he's the new face of civ he was an ex nasa employee but games just kept pulling him back in he, he had to live that game life and get out of that space life it has like a legendary run of uh, of hits on in the tabletop genre as well yes he did that's how he ended up getting into the gaming uh the the games business uh, they also take a step back in terms of removing religion entirely from the main version of 5 and implemented it later in expansions, Gods and Kings, and uh, Brave New World, which were led by Ed Beach. There was also a focus on new civilizations and uh, international relations when it came to Brave New World, and Gods and Kings obviously is their implementation of religion, among other things. Uh, it took them three years and three months, long dev cycle, to develop it before its release in 2010. So this was, I think, many considered, I think, a great achievement in games. It's just this incredible, incredible thing that people are still hooked on, spent, you know, have just put thousands and thousands of hours in it. And it's the game that a lot of people I've heard just keep coming back to and keep returning to. Unfortunately, that's also because there's a lot of issues that people feel about Civ Six, and so they're kind of going back to Five in a lot of ways. I don't think Civ Six necessarily. I'm. I want to try it again after my run with Civ Five, mm -hmm. but Civ Five is definitely, I think, a lot more friendly to the newcomer <laughs> than Six is actually. Even as 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 uh, cartoony and welcoming as it all seems, there are just some basic systems things that made Civ Six for some reason just just not quite uh, hooking me in because I don't have all that prior knowledge. Yeah. I think there was just also the A to C of, like, you need to do these things to make your citizens happy, 
seems a little clearer in Civ Five. In Civ Six, it's like, oh, you need amenities, and I'm like, well, what? How do I do amenities? And there was no like really clear way other than building stuff that I didn't have the resources for. There's, you know, the the human mind can only take so many tutorial prompts before yeah. it decides to shut down. Yeah, and that's, that's a little there's bit nothing of it. wrong with that. One thing I will complain about though, and it's such a small thing, and honestly, you should just start a new game and make it a simple, normal, easy-ish game and play that way because all those tutorial prompts are like in the main game. The tutorial you cannot save, which makes me nuts. So like I'd get two hours into this tutorial and be like, all right, I'll come back to this. I want to finish the tutorial, but I'll come back to it. And then you literally can't save the game. It's a small thing because but I guess it's just a little known secret. Don't click on the tutorial. The game will tutorialize you just by starting a new game for the first time. Uh, so, Civilization VI. The same team develops this that did the Civ Five expansions, like I said, with Ed Beach. Um, and many of the same mechanics from those expansions are uh, introduced at the launch of Civ Six, namely religion and things like that. The team sets out to prevent players from following routines in each playthrough. I feel like this is such a through line to us, the approach to Civ games. How do we get the player to not have a very specific system when they approach every single Civ game. How do we make it so that the player has a completely different experience no matter how long they've been playing, no matter how ironed out their strategy is? Can we get them into a game and based on just these different setups and these, uh, you know, in terms of land and in terms of the, um, you know, proximity to other civilizations and all this good stuff to make them not just follow that exact same path in the technology tree, right? Mm -hmm. Not just follow the exact same steps, in the in you know from beginning to end to to beat the game um so a big part of that was having the procedurally generated map have a stronger influence on gameplay uh they also added a day night cycle cities spanning multiple tiles which are called districts uh workers are now builders that complete their job so workers um uh, essentially would go around your land and improve it by building farms and trade routes and things like that. Well, this time, uh, and they can do it indefinitely, This in this game you, build, you make builders and they have three uses and then they're gone. Maybe they get more uses later, but it's mm. like, then they just disappear like out of use which it like, very fundamentally changes no like the, the uh, you know like the american worker yeah they just collapsed dead after building three farms um they had a much more complex religious Bud light in their hand in front of the tv uh-huh. at age 55 as god intended there's also a religious win state um and there's a eureka mechanic which i think is really cool i think is a neat addition so let's say you're like closer to the ocean you're going to be more inspired when you're researching sailing and it's going to get done faster. Let's mm. say you're closer to somewhere like, um, you know, I don't know, mountain rock or something. Mm. You might Maybe your mining will research yeah. will, be, will increase faster. I think that's a really neat idea. And that is definitely a big part of what they were trying to do to try to integrate your uh, change in game experience based on the land that you uh, start out on. Um, it, again, has a more cartoonish look. This got a lot of, I think, unfair criticism. But yeah. I think that's just dumb. It, like, I, I actually think I think that- I, I will say that said, Jake, I do prefer the look of five in terms of band. Oh, really? Stuff. Yeah, I do. I, I like it. Uh, I mean, if I had the visuals from six in the system of five, I feel like I'd be happy. You'd be even happy. Oh, okay. uh, also, uh, I was a fan of uh, I, like I said, I got it for uh, my phone, but. Uh, the revolution style is a little more cartoony too. Civilization mm. Revolution was kind of a simplified, dumbed down console and portable version of Civilization that has a ton of fans. People loved it. Uh, I know the DS release 
was like really popular. Mm. Um, and that also has kind of a, a cartoon thing. And it kind of, you know, like Nuclear Gandhi, it establishes that like you're not actually Catherine the Great. You know, these yeah. are these are archetypes. That right. You're having fun with his. It looks good. The art looks good. I, I really do think. I mean, you know. I think it looks great. Also, do you know anything about the Switch port? It ported to Switch. It just came out, right? It just came out. I didn't know if it was any good or not. I, I heard it. I heard it got good reviews. I feel um, like mouse and keyboard's the way to go, but I guess with a touch screen, that would be kind of cool too. Touch screen and uh, the Civ system, like it does, you know, it's not the most uh, uh, inaccessible to a controller, especially with like sticks and everything. It's a lot of picking between menus. You're not like typing stuff out, right? I think um, I think the main thing too that'll make me go back to Civ Six is the Gathering Storm expansion. They added natural disasters, climate change, very interesting stuff. I think once I'm a little more used to Five, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go back just just for those added layers. They seem really cool. Uh, we did not mention uh, Free Civ, which was a open source clone of Civilization, which uh, is pretty much one of the most storied and well-supported and long-lived open source game projects in the history of uh online collaboration uh but you know it exists <laughs> uh you can play it in your browser as we speak so maybe you don't have twenty dollars to buy civ 5 yeah. maybe you don't have six dollars to buy the phone <laughs> version maybe you don't have the courage within your heart to burglar to burgle an old man and steal his old computer software <laughs> but you can play free civ on in your browser right now including on your phone uh, all right, I think that about covers it, Jake. Do you got anything else to say about? Baba yetu yetu. There it is. Um, I I like God now. I honestly, I was scared when we picked this topic, uh, and because this game never reverberated for me, it never mm. hit its mark. I just couldn't get my mind in that kind of position, and now I get it. I am nanners for Civ. I'm going to play some more rounds tonight. God help my soul, as it is probably going to keep me from doing research for this show in the future. But what are you going to do? I, I am really loving it. I'm glad. I, I, I love these episodes. I know I, I've seen some comments about like, um, I think they they were talking about a drinking game on the Facebook page, and one of them was the uh, it, whenever they say that they never actually like was a, were a fan of the thing and experienced the thing that we research, but. I love those episodes because for me, it, it, it opens my eyes to like totally new experiences that I never thought I would enjoy. And this is by far definitely one of them. Holden, you know, like, you know how when you are walking around in New York City and you're just trying to do the thing you love, uh, you know, just live as a person and comfortable where you are. And you see a bunch of uh, fat, gross tourists just kind of clogging the sidewalk. <laughs> and they're really impressed by all the cool stuff they see around them. They're so excited. And, you know, they're taking pictures and they're like saying stuff like, oh, that's the Empire State Building. But they're pointing to the Chrysler Building. But like, you're so happy for them that they get to experience this thing that you find so mundane. <laughs> and you don't leave nasty reviews on iTunes about it. <laughs> right? That's what it's like. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us. If you would like to leave uh, a nasty or positive review on iTunes, please rate and review us. Uh, you can check us out also on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got bonus episodes every single week for just $5 a month, among other things. Check us out on there. Uh, if you want to follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho, I'm doing stuff all throughout the week, namely on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday nights. Check out, check out the VOD. 
uh, where I uh, hang out yeah. with uh, Jeff for cocktails. That was so much fun, man. So Jake came and did our cocktail stream, which is every other Monday night. Well, I would love to have you for more streams soon, Jake, because we had such a blast that night and got way too drunk. Uh, Jake! Um, please find your favorite episode in the archives and tell everyone you know about it. <laughs> and then scream at them till they join the Patreon. Always remember to, my friends, keep on whizzing. Never stop Baba Bruising. Baba Yig, hold up, Baba Dee. What's the Lion King song? Ah, it is! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast paced world, Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.